0: Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of what is our Let's Talk Arsenal series. But for this show, it is an episode of the Canton and Simiou show, as always, joined for the first
1: time in a while
0: by Mr. Harry Simiou. How are you doing, mate? You good, well?
1: Yeah, I'm good, mate. A bit cold. Um, I've got mm. the tracksuit and the body warmer on at the moment. Um, I've had the heating on mate. in here all day and I'm still cold. <laughs> I'm still cold. It's, you know, we've had this conversation before. I'm not made for yeah. this weather. Um just True. for it.
0: True. It is the background. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh I say that. I've lived it lived in the UK, but from the UK, genes all from the UK. You know, my DNA is very much uh, here and yeah, I still find it cold and I have no excuse at all. So, you know, it's uh, it is what it is, um regarding that. But uh, I think that hopefully what will warm us up is some transfers. Oh wait, no, um there's no <laughs> transfers either. Uh, that maybe we'll have some a, a good patch of four. No, nope don't have that either um we're gonna have to really dig deep um to find uh something to warm ourselves up but the chat box's positivity is certainly going to help us thank you so much guys for tuning in and joining us as always do drop a like on the video you can of course find harry's channel in today's uh video title um if not you're if you're not aware it is the chronicles of aguna of course make sure you go and subscribe um How have you been enjoying your festive period, Harry, and your new year as well? I know it's two weeks into it, but it's, uh, I just, 2023 was so bad that I just feel like 2024 had to come.
1: I enjoyed Christmas because Mm. I wasn't that busy work wise around it. Um, Last year, I remember around the Christmas period, I think I went to nine games in 12 days, Mm. Um, not just Arsenal games. Obviously, I was covering other games as well. And I just, like, Christmas completely passed me by this uh, last year. So mm. this time it was quite nice. Actually, it was a lot more chilled. Um, Arsenal not playing on Boxing Day obviously helped with that as well, um, and it was good. But I have to say I've struggled for motivation at the start of this year, and I, I don't know really? why. I, I don't know what it is. Like I, I feel like I haven't got going yet. Um, so hopefully in the next sort of week or so, with Arsenal coming back into action, we can, we can get back onto it, and hopefully Arsenal can pick up a positive result, and this cloud of negativity can just move along.
0: Yeah, I feel like the form over Christmas just, it's one of those where the, the year comes to an end. And so more than any other time, you remember most, I think, the end of of a period. And if the period ends being last year with such a negative period of form, it just makes the year seem worse. I think from the perspective of Arsenal. Now we've got a chance, of course, to put things right. We sadly weren't able to do that in our first game of 2024 with the, the match against Liverpool in the FA Cup. But now with Crystal Palace coming at home and then you've got a chance to go to Forest and kind of, you know, in some ways, deal with that banana skin of a game, which has always cost us down down in the years as well. And then you've got a redemption story against Liverpool at the Emirates, which hopefully Arsenal can achieve and really change the rhetoric. But before we get to that, uh, we have to navigate the rest of the January transfer window, although it doesn't seem like there is much to navigate because it doesn't seem like much is happening. Are you disappointed with how it's gone so far, or were you already kind of succumbed to knowing that it was going to be like this?
1: Um I I knew that we weren't going to do an Ivan Tony deal or mm. a Dusan Vlavic deal or uh, you know, anything that big. You know, I was pretty um I was pretty sure that, that was going to be the case. So I'm not surprised by that. I do think we need something though. I I really do. I look at the way we kind of waned at the end of of the year and sort of coming into the new year, the way we've struggled, the way a number of players have all lost form at the same time. And then you look to the bench and you look to the squad and you think, well, what can I do to shake this up and change it? And there isn't that much that you can do. Um, That's partly down to injuries. But I think it's partly to do with the way we've built this squad as well. Um, and I did an episode on it the other day, and I know a lot of people disagreed um mm. and, and sort of, you know, thought that I was talking out of my backside basically. But what I was saying was that there's obviously an emphasis on buying players that are versatile. That was obviously something that Mikel Arteta was really, really keen on last yeah. summer and the summer before that. Um, and that is because I think he thinks that obviously when You've got X amount of money to spend, however m- amount of money that is. You want to maximise it, right? You want to bring in someone that can help you in more than one or two ways. But then you get to this stage, you know, like when people draw out a team sheet and they do like the goalkeeper and they'll put Raya Ramsdale's names underneath it. And then the the, the right back will be White, Timber, Asu, And then it and you go along the team like that and you're just going, oh, look at our depth. The problem is when you've got the same names in different positions. Yeah you can end up in a position where you lose one body, one player, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you're short in two or three areas across your team. And obviously the benefit of of the versatility is that you can play in different ways, is that you can use those players when the amount of injuries are manageable to cover one another and all of that. And it's great. But then when you have a high volume of injuries, you have a problem. And I think we've got that problem at this moment in time. I still look at our team and I think, you know, on the right wing, we don't have another option outside of Bukayo Saka. like Mikel Arteta might argue that Trossard or um, Martinelli or Nelson could play there, but do they do it to the same level that they play on the left? No, they don't. I think it's fair to say. You know, you look at Kai Havertz coming in and maybe you thought if you were Mikel Arteta, well, he can back us up in the centre-forward position and that would be great because he's something different to what Jesus and, and Enketia are. But then you have to use him at left eight because Emil Smith-Rowe hasn't been fit for most of the season because Fabio Vieira is out because, you know, you don't have those alternatives. So you end up in a position basically where if you're so over-reliant on versatility that if you have a high volume of injuries, you just don't have enough bodies. And I think we're at that point now.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think... That what we have found this season, in particular, is not is that the most versatile players are the ones that we have started to lose as well. Like Tommy Asu, who can play across the back four, as you mentioned. You know, Timber can play right back, left back, and played all of last season at centre half for for uh, Ajax as well. So, and then you add players that. Like Vieira, like Smith-Rowe, who have been out. Jesus, of course, our key centre-forwards, have been missing. Gabriel Martinelli and Trossard have also missed games this season. Saka missed arguably the biggest game of the season against Man City, and we still managed to win that one as well. And then Partey, who's gone from the most available he's ever been for us last season to the least available we've ever had him this season. And all of those factors combine to to be where we are. And if you look at the Man City squad, for instance, it's you know they are in a similar position at times. They have got 18, 19 players that they rely on over the course of the season. And a lot of that is similar in a sense of that you look at that back four, how versatile Stones can be for them, how versatile Gavardio is, left-back, left-sided centre-back, Ake, the same, Akanji, very versatile in his defensive player as well. Um, and if you lose Rodri, you know, the amount, their record when they don't have Rodri compared to when they do is, is a stark comparison. You know, it's a real big contrast between the two records as well. Their forward players, are very versatile. You look at Foden can play, you look at Grealish can play, Alvarez, of course, as well. They've got a huge amount... Bernardo Silva is a massive example too. You know, there's loads of examples of versatility across the treble winners. And that is where we, I think, should be as a club. You should aim yeah. to have a core group of players that can play in multiple positions... But there is a reality that we find ourselves in that our injuries this season have been horrific. What do you make of it, the tagline of naming that as an excuse? Because often when I talk about injuries being a legitimate reason as to why it's not been as good as it has been last season, I'm told that that's an excuse. So I think it's a genuine reason. But
1: why is it that it's labelled an excuse for some, do you think? No idea. Um, I think that you can frame anything really in whatever way you want to frame it, depending on what your argument is, depending on what your angle is. So if you're someone that wants to pick holes in everything that Mikel Arteta does, then you're going to say, you know, we've gone about it the wrong way. And it doesn't matter that we've got injuries, we should still be able to cope because injuries are part of the reality of, of the sport. But if you look at it the other way, where you can say, well, you know, the, the fact that we've lost these players at key moments and, you know, we've been without players that would have normally just covered us in, in multiple positions. You know, it's a big problem and it's a big issue. I, you can frame stuff whatever way you want to frame it. And yeah. what I find interesting is that over the last, you know, I don't know, 18 months, the noise around the squad building has been completely different. You know, people have been saying, oh, look, look how well we've done. You know, look how quickly we've gone from top four contenders to title contenders. This is mm. brilliant. There's still more work to be done. I think we all acknowledge that. But look yeah. at the leap we've made and the leap we've taken because we've brought in some real game-changing players. And then the minute you get a, a, a rough patch of results, it's all, oh, well, the squad's wrong. Now, I might be a bit guilty of that as well because maybe because of the recent results and because I still feel like in certain positions we really don't have an answer, um you know I've overthought it over the course of the last couple of weeks I'm I'm happy to hold my hands up and say that but I think it's all about the perspective that you want to come at this from uh, somebody asked me a question on my podcast this morning I thought it was a really interesting question mm. is and and the question was is Arteta the man before the man so is yeah. Arteta yeah. the mm-hmm. one that you know is going to take us to glory or is he the one that has essentially laid the foundations but in order to go to that level we need to go and find someone of a higher caliber Mm -hmm. i don't think that's a wild take to have i don't think it's a wild opinion to have it's a really valid opinion to have um but i think he's done enough to deserve the opportunity to have a crack at at going to that next level and where i get annoyed is when people sort of conflate convolate the two things right so it's conflate that's the word when they try and put the two things uh, it's, You're going on,
0: between convolute and convolute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was is like, he well, going to get there?
1: <laughs> I, I'm, on the, the, I'm on TGT, so I've got to make up words, right? It's part of the part of the trademark. It is, It's
0: the way it goes. <laughs> Convo, is now Convoflate, a new one. Yeah, there, yeah. We there we go.
1: go. But like, you can say that you don't think he's the one to take you to the next level and to finish the project off, but you can't discredit the good work he's done so far. That's where I get annoyed. That's the bit that and irritates me and frustrates me. But is it an excuse? Well, you can you can label it as an excuse, but you know when Manchester United are struggling because they've been missing loads of key players all season, I didn't hear any Arsenal fans saying, "Oh, you know, well, it's it's just an excuse, like as in it's okay, it's fine." You know, yeah, we do yeah. that, don't we? We're tribal. We we do that. Chelsea have been missing loads of players, but no one will have it when they want to talk about the billion quid that they spent. So I think you, you know you, it's just the way people package things up, and whatever narrative is driving them, and and wherever their underlying opinion is, that's going to come out in the way that they talk about it.
0: No, I think the dynamic of Arsenal fans in general, like as as a fan base, I think we are the most civil warry <laughs> of 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 all different teams. You know, we are far more likely to have an argument with a fellow Arsenal fan than we are a rival fan about you know football, like and. Back in the day, when you know I was at school, it was it was completely different. You know, it was on the playground. It was you know you, you arguing with Man United fans and Liverpool fans because you know I live down south and that's where Man United and Liverpool fans live. <laughs> um, so in regards to kind of those debates, they've changed over the years. But I absolutely agree on the sense of the Arteta um, being potentially the guy before the guy. But I also have talked about the idea that I think that you should always aim to be, you know, you should should be able to be on board the idea that if you're moving in the direction towards the goal, then you've got a right to stick by that that train that you're on, you know, and I think the Arteta train right now is taking us in the direction where I want this club to go which is back to the top, competing for titles season upon season. Is this going to take us to the Premier League title? I don't know yet, but I've not got enough evidence to suggest to me, based upon the context of the Premier League as it is today, to tell me that no, it's not going to do that. And so that's why I'm more than... And I also don't see another train right now to hop on that's going to take me to that goal right now because I can only see it being... I mean, you saw the news today, Harry. How are you feeling about Arsenal fans are about to jump on the Mourinho
1: train? Oh, come on, man. Mourinho's been... I don't want to use the term washed. I've seen some people use the term washed about Jose Mm. Mourinho. I, I just think that in the early stages of his career, he set the bar so high with what he was achieving. Yeah, um, And he's now at a point where he's no longer in that elite bracket of manager. I still think he's a good manager. One and trophy still, in seven years. Yeah, but he's he's got this thing that he can sort of, I think he can he can create this siege mentality and he can create a good atmosphere at a lot of the clubs he's been at. Now, it didn't happen at Spurs um, and it didn't really happen at Man United, although he still, I think, got the highest win rate of a United manager since uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. So, you know, he's still got something there. But like you talk to Roma fans, for example, and I work really closely with a few and they love the mood that Jose brought to the club that, you know, the connection that he had with the Olympico and the fans, they love that. But eventually you always get to the point with Mourinho where you go, "Ah, okay, the vibes aren't really doing it anymore. And the football's dire. Um, You know, Roma have got a lot of financial constraints at the moment and they're going to need to build from the ground up. And they've obviously looked at Mourinho and gone, you're not the one that's going to do that for us, and and that's right. Doesn't mean he's a terrible manager, but it. it, it I don't think he's the answer for Arsenal. I mean, come on. The the, yeah. the thing is, I've I've never said about Arteta, and I've defended him a lot, but I've never said that he's as good as Pep or as good as as Klopp, because hmm. he's not. No, he's not. Right, he's not. So outside of those two, where do you go? Like people hmm. will talk about Carlo Ancelotti. I think Carlo Ancelotti, for me, is probably. There's an argument when he retires, he'll go down as the greatest club manager of all time. Potentially. But he's just signed a new contract with Real Madrid. So mm-hmm. you're not going to get Carlo Ancelotti. You're not going to get Jurgen Klopp. You're not going to get Pep Guardiola. So what's the obvious solution? He, like People are calling for him to go because we've had a few bad results. But where are we going next is the question. Because there's no point in replacing without having a plan in place. So, yeah, I, just, I know we've kind of digressed onto the Arteta chat, but... We are going in the right direction. We are on our way. Yeah. Maybe we're going to need someone else to get us over the line. I don't this I don't even dispute that. You know, I, I love Mikel Arteta, but you know, if over the next couple of years we're not taking that next step, then I think you have to look at it. Mm. But right no, now, where uh, do you
0: go? I th- I think um no, it's Arteta's absolutely part of this conversation about January because he's taking a lot of flack for you know what we're experiencing during January. Um The question is always going to be, where do you go, you know, afterwards? And like for Arsenal, it's not like Chelsea. Like you have to make the right choice. Like you can't afford, like Arsenal can't afford to get it wrong. And to just take a, a risk—that's why I always think, like suggestions of Zidane, for instance, when he comes up in conversation. Like, only ever managed at Real Madrid, which was a club in which it gave him the platform to, to you know, of, of ridiculous money and ridiculous talent. And not only that, but he knew that club inside out from his time in the youth side as well. Um, and if you are Zidane at Real Madrid, like what that the, the, the aura around him, you know, in that Real Madrid dressing rooms, and what that delivers. Is it's you're not going to see him rock up at Arsenal, you're just not going to see that happen. Um, it really isn't going to happen. I think that if Arsenal go for somebody else, like just hypothetically, like if there was the stage after you know, after Arteta, I think that it's going to be it has to be someone of a standing who has won major honors on a consistent basis. And the problem is, is that. Well, Pep Guardiola kind of takes all those up most years, so there isn't really anyone outside of him that does that. And the other, the next best option, as you've already mentioned, is Jurgen Klopp, who obviously is the only one to really be able to challenge Pep. The other one you look at is in the Premier League era, modern era, is Antonio Conte, who went to, to Spurs, and you know, yes, he beat Arsenal to to fourth place, um, but did not end their trophy drought. We talk about taking Arsenal to the next level. Well, the next level for Spurs was just a trophy. It wasn't even necessarily getting back into the top four, and he couldn't do that then. Now, you might say that's because it's Spurs, but it's still a club that had Harry Kane, Son, um, some incredible talent there, but he wasn't able to do that. You've got to find the right Coach to take on this job when Arteta, and, and there will be a day when Arteta does leave. There will be a day, and you know, there's rumours at the moment about Barcelona. I think that, that is a potential next job for him. Uh, is is Barcelona in the future? I can see that one day potentially happening. If not PSG as well, I think are a potential next offer for for Mikel Arteta. And, and when we're talking about these clubs, that that's the pedestal he's put himself on in terms of jobs. If he was ever to leave Arsenal. He's put himself into the the you know the pantheon of of those types of clubs. When Unai Emery left Arsenal, for instance, he wasn't talked about for those jobs. He went to Villarreal and has now gone to Aston Villa, and he's doing an excellent job, by the way, at Aston Villa. But it's the work that Arteta has done at Arsenal that is going to put him into those brackets of coaches when he's and and brackets of clubs when he does one day move on from Arsenal. Um, But he needs while he's at Arsenal uh his his kind of vision to be delivered do you did you do you think arteta expected to have more backing in this window or do you think he would have been savvy enough to know that whoever he signed in the summer especially when Rea came in on loan and the indications that gave us about where are do you think he went into this season knowing that he'd go through january without much else
1: i think he had to i think the club had to and i think we as fans should have seen it coming as well um, I, I've been saying it for maybe a year um, and and someone uh, pulled up a comment that I made about a year ago saying, oh, you, we shouldn't listen to you because you said that we don't have any money and then we went and bought Declan Rice. I never said that Arsenal don't have any money. I said that at someone some point... something
0: you said and taking it in the wrong
1: way and yes, then saying it differently. That doesn't yeah, happen. Don't be never saying it never happens, does it? <laughs> what I said was, given the overhaul of the squad under Mikel Arteta and our inability to get decent money for a lot of the deadwood that we've had to move out along the way, mm. we were always going to face a point where either because of, of profit and sustainability rules or because the Cronkies just weren't going to do it anymore, we were always going to hit a bit of a brick wall in terms of being able to spend. Because for three or four years, Tom, we've just spent, 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 yeah. and we've yeah. hardly bought anything in the other way. So if people didn't see a point coming where we would have to slow that down, whether that be because of rules or because of us as a football club, not having the capacity to do that, or the ownership not having the want to do that, then mm. I don't yeah. know what planet you've been living on because it was always going to happen. You go and spend a hundred million on on your marquee midfielder in the mm. summer. Um, one of the big debates that always comes up is: should we have bought Kai Havertz? Should we have signed Kai Havertz? Should we have spent? It that was going to be my next question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I think we we overpaid for Kai Havertz. Never shied mm. away from that. Hmm. Um and, and it goes back to the point that I was making about the versatility thing. I think that a lot of the reason that Arsenal were willing to pay what they paid was because they looked at him and went, well, hold on a minute. He's not just a solution to the midfield if we need him there, but he's also an option up front for us. So it's kind of hmm. like we're signing two players.
0: I think he will I don't think he's a solution for the midfield. <laughs> all. No, I, I, that's my view. Yeah.
1: No, I don't either. But I think that's how they looked at it. I think that they were willing to go that extra mile on the cost because they thought that he would be able to offer them cover in a number of positions. But then if you don't have a left eight all season, yeah, then his ability to cover you up front and give you something there is limited, isn't it? So it comes back mm-hmm. to that point of maybe we were better off buying two £30 million players that are specialists in each of those two positions and doing it that way. So I'm, I accept there's a debate there, but... He hasn't been our worst player this season. He hasn't been culpable for some of the defeats that we've suffered. And this, this just lazy analysis around him all the time. It drives me mad. Um, if people want to say that they don't agree with the signing, don't think it was the right thing to do, I accept that. And I think I'm kind of maybe on the side of that, having seen, you know, how our squad has, has evolved over the last sort of six to eight months or whatever, but it's just, yeah, let, let's look at what the actual problem is. And I think it's, the approach that we've got slightly wrong, rather than you know trying to scapegoat one individual.
0: Yeah, uh, I think that the, the Havertz situation is a genuine point of criticism of the club's recruitment at the moment. If you were saying making a judgment on January sixteenth, I'd say yes, Arsenal could have better spent sixty-five million pounds, and I don't think that's pre- I don't think that's controversial, <laughs> you know, to say that at all. But the the fact of the matter is, is that of of the work that Arsenal have done in the market, in terms of the investment, I have reason and had reason and still have reason to trust what they choose to invest in because of how they've turned a club from when obviously Arteta took over in eleventh and taken them to a title race in three full seasons, and we're now into this fourth full season, uh, in a position where fourth full it is fourth full season, yes, yeah. um, where. I think obviously we should be looking to challenge again. Yes, I think we overachieved last season in terms of what we we did. I did not expect us to to challenge for a title. But when you do that, you can't slide so far backwards in terms of falling out of, into a top 4 race rather than, you know, this season at the absolute minimum Arsenal should be qualifying for the Champions League as a minimum and I'm not talking about scrapping for top 4. I'm talking about we should be comfortably inside the top 4 this season. Agreed. Um otherwise I think we have regressed. And so Arsenal's spending is something that will come more under scrutiny as the years go by now, especially with these profit and sustainability rules, which are going to mean that if we make an error in the the market, the punishment for making that error is more than ever before. We always used to say, me and you, back in the day, like we're talking five years ago, we used to use the line of, because it was very much uh, relevant at the the time, of Arsenal can't afford to miss in the market, whereas City and Chelsea... Can go in and spend huge amounts of money on on players that aren't going to work for them, and then they can just go and spend again. But now, with the prevalence of, of profit sustainability, that can't happen. Do you want to jump in?
1: Yeah, you're you're, you're right. You're you're yeah. absolutely right. Like you can't afford to miss. um You know, we have missed, but not just with Kai Havertz. We've missed a lot over the last few years, and. I think every manager misses. I think every recruitment team misses. I don't think you will find a club in world football that haven't put down a big amount of money on a player that it didn't work out for. Even Manchester City, Calvin Phillips. You know, what what a waste of money that's been. You know, you look at how many fullbacks Pep Guardiola's been through, how many goalkeepers he went through at the start. There was lots of mistakes on City's part as well, who people talk about as being... Um, you know the 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 best run club I know they've got the finances to do it but obviously people talk about how well they they run their club and all the rest of it and I think that's fair but they miss too everybody misses when it comes to transfers the problem is is that on the one hand the profit and sustainability stuff is handicapping us now um, and causing us a problem in terms of you know the next bit of our build It, it puts a spanner in the works but at the same time, in the long term, I actually quite like it. I, I want this to be in place. I, I don't understand why people well, are putting arms about it. It needs to be there. I, I, get, I get
0: one criticism of it, which is it's too late. It's coming too late. I think it's good that it's here, but for me it's too late because the likes of City and Chelsea have already built their foundation. They've already spent huge sums of money without restriction that has got them into the equation. If this was in place at the start of the, the millennium, right, it would be Arsenal and Man United and Liverpool, the, the 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 three. I don't, you know, City and Chelsea would not be in the frame anywhere near what they are now, and that's the issue I have with the restrictions. But it's not, but it needed to come in, but that is obviously a, a downside of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Clive makes a great comment. Clive Palmer's in the in the chat. Clive doesn't like make Clive. any great comments. Yeah, he says. <laughs> But he's right. He says, you know, with sign-ins, we have the advantage of in the moment hindsight. When we don't win in three, we look at choices. When we beat City, we were very happy. Exactly. And that's why I'm finding it really, really difficult to process so much of the negativity at the moment. Because three, four weeks ago, when we were top of the Premier League, it was... Look at Arsenal. They've got way more controlling games now. Look at Arsenal. They've grown up. They've matured, et cetera, et cetera. And three, four weeks down the line, it's Arsenal are a disaster. Everything's crashing and burning. Get rid of Mikel Arteta. We've yeah. we've we messed it all up. It's like, how can you go from zero to 100 in the space of three weeks? If we go and drop points against Crystal Palace at the weekend, mm. and then we drop points against Nottingham Forest, then we really are looking out of ideas, dead on our feet. I will accept that the criticism is justified, but to me, it's just, it's too much too soon in terms of the level of criticism. And, you know, this season is not done yet. You know, we could easily beat Palace. We could easily beat Forest. And if we go and beat Liverpool at the Emirates Stadium, we're two points off them at the top of the table. Yeah. You know, we could easily get through Porto in the Champions League. And then we're in the last eight of Europe's premier competition. This season is not done. And last season should have taught us that it's not, a sprint it's a marathon you know that should have taught us better than anything else that should be a real lesson learned for us we maybe in some cases got carried away last season um hoping for a positive outcome let's not get carried away with the potential of a negative outcome because there's still a lot of football to be played
0: yes there is um an awful lot of football to be played um and I think that you're right uh we can't start just making judgments over the course of where this whole project is right now. Because if if you were looking at kind of a a graph of Arsenal's progression under Arteta in, in this regime, you know, last season took a huge hike up that graph. And this season, like, I want to, you're not going to see that same upward trend because we went to second in the table. We want to try and hover, you know, around there with the scope of going up that one more level to getting into first place but as an overall progression that we've made and the amount of uh, how combative we are, how competitive we are, how resilient we can be, the the objective this season was to look at last season and look at why we didn't win the league and try and solve those problems. It was to try and find out what those big reasons were. One was obviously depth in defence. And we went and spent 38 million pounds on a defender that we've, now lost for the course of this season. So that was obviously one strategy they put in place that they've not been able to implement. Obviously Declan Rice came in, but we went off the back of a season with Partey available for all of it. I don't think the plan was to for Partey and Rice to rotate. The plan was for them to 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 form a partnership over the course of this season, which would take us from a midfield perspective into a different stratosphere. And I know that Partey started in this weird auxiliary hybrid role at the start yeah. of the season, but I don't I, I think there is so many with the window open at that point and what was going on with Gabriel and with Zinchenko not fit at that point as well, I just think there was far many questions to to assume that that was going to be the norm going through the rest of the season. I genuinely believe it would have been Partey and Rice that eventually... I mean, you look at the game against Man City and the Community Shield, they both started next to one another in that game. And I think that would have been the way forwards in the long term. But where we find ourselves now is... We've had a, a bad patch of form. Liverpool are far better than they were last season. I say far better. Last season was an anomaly for Liverpool. Liverpool are an incredibly good side. They've yeah. competed with City on nearly every factor, on a on a smaller budget than Man City have been able to do. But that difference in budget is probably the reason why they've not been able to haul in City more than just the one time in the league that they managed to do it under Klopp. So Arsenal are very similar in that fact, that we need to be looking to try and compete in the same way that Liverpool do, unless. We were too able to spend like City are, and we're just not. So we need to be looking at trying to emulate that Liverpool team as much as we can, getting as close to the, to Manchester City as we possibly can, and and getting the fortune that you need to do it. Because I'm sorry, but Arsenal are never winning a league title without luck. And I, th- I think not enough people realise that, Harry. I think that yeah, not, uh, there's not enough appreciation for the fact for Arsenal to win a title, they're going to need luck to do it.
1: Yeah, you, you always need a bit of luck to do it um, unless you're really outstanding. Man City have been outstanding for a long time for a lot of reasons that we've kind of, you know, been over already. So I don't want to go through that again. But, you know, the Liverpool point is a good one. Jurgen Klopp, for all his brilliance, has only been able to wrestle the title away from the Etihad once. Mm. Once. Now, that's not because he's not very good. It's not because Liverpool aren't very good. It's because Manchester City are that good. They are that good. And there are question marks around how they got to where they are and all the rest of it. And that is a debate for another day. But what I think Liverpool have probably done better than Arsenal is, you know, they've well, well it's not probably they have. They've, well, they've got a better manager. Well, yeah, they've got <laughs> a better manager, of course, but they've yeah. also, they've also done really well in terms of picking up bits of silverware along the way mm. outside of the Best Premier League. Yeah, you know, in terms of cups, Champions League, they've had a couple of really good cracks at the Champions League as well. More than a couple of really good cracks at it under Jurgen Klopp. Obviously, he's won it, it's been to a final, all the rest of it. I think because of that, people look at Jurgen Klopp's achievements at Liverpool. And although the league thing is is an issue, mm-hmm. and you know it's not where they want to be, he's kind of been able to kind of keep that pressure at bay because he's been able to to pick up those trophies. And where I will criticize Arteta. And not so much this season, because you get drawn at home to Liverpool in the FA Cup. There's not much you can do about it. Even last season, you know, we had Oxford in the third round, I think, off the top of my head. And then we went to City, didn't we, in the fourth round? And we got knocked yeah. out there. We've had some awful draws. West Ham away in the Carabao Cup it was in an easy draw. Um, you know, I think, was it Liverpool that knocked us out in the Carabao last season as well? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but, but where he's got, where he needed to do a bit better, I think, was in particular, in the Europa League. I think if he'd have won a Europa League, that would have, you know, kept the yeah. wolves away a little bit. And 100%. I think some of our Europa League campaigns under Mikel Arteta, it doesn't matter I'm how poor. much you rate him, they've been really poor yeah. and really disappointing. And I just look at it and I think, you know, at a club like Arsenal, where there is going to be a pressure to win, you're going to need to pick up some bits along the way. It's like if you want people to, if, if you want a dog to follow you down the road, Mm. Dropping a biscuit behind you every few yards is a is a great way of doing it because there's something yeah. for those people to latch onto until you get to, and, and follow until your final destination. And you know maybe we haven't had enough of that, and that's why people are feeling the frustration. But you know as well like Bukayo Saka last season, fantastic. I'm not criticizing the guy. Martinelli the same. Odegaard the same. This season they haven't been as good. Think about what Liverpool have got. Mo Salah does it every single year, man. And that's the difference between a world-class player that's ripe and ready and Mm -hmm. a player that's got the potential but isn't quite there yet, I would say. Mm
0: No, you're spot on. And I think the other thing to say about Liverpool and the difference between what Arteta had and what Klopp had when he came in, besides the fact that the experience that Klopp had with Dortmund and what he did there, and that was kind of the perfect club. If you're going to go from one club to Liverpool, Dortmund's a fantastic example of that next step as, as a coach. And I think the difference also is that Arteta came into a group that he knew the only people he was keeping was the, star, the starlets. Was yeah. was the, the, the kids coming through like Saka, Smith-Rowe, um, they, Martinelli, Saliba. You know, they were the ones that he was going to keep. They're the ones that he was going to develop and build the squad around. Whereas you look at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp in, uh, inherited Roberto Firmino. He inherited Jordan Henderson. He inherited Felipe Coutinho, of course, who, yes, was sold, but was there during a key period in which they then ousted Arsenal from the top four and replaced them in fourth spot which then got them back into the Champions League, which Arteta was a side that had been without that Champions League for, for a significant period of time. Klopp inherited a team that had only just, I think, two seasons prior, very nearly won the league themselves as well. Um, and so it's important to remember, of course, the what ultimately Jurgen Klopp inherited and and, and then added to whilst he was there as a manager. And it was that recruitment. You look at the the, the signings they made during the time that he was there. First full summer, Mane and vinaldum come in. Next yep. summer, Van Dijk, Salah, Robertson come in. Next summer, Alisson, uh, Fabinho come in. And the following summer, uh, they didn't sign anyone uh, other than Minamino in January, because they'd already built a side that was looking at trying to challenge. I think that was the season that they... Um, that they won the, uh, was that the Champions League winning year? I think it was in nineteen twenty yeah, or was that so, the yeah. um, And then the following year, they had Diego Jota and Thiago. You add like a Bayern Munich world-class midfielder to your team. Yes, he's available. It's not been great, but they had the the youth and the depth to be able to add that next piece of the puzzle. Luis Diaz and Canate come in the season after, and then they can add Darwin Nunez and Cody Gakpo their attacking options and then this summer of course they've had to kind of rip up the midfield after Jordan Henderson has gone and Fabinho has has moved on as well and now you've got players like Zobosla, McAllister Graven and Endo, That's four midfielders coming into that squad this season and ultimately Arteta has had to look at that squad that he inherited I'm going to have to t- change the title of this video because we've been so much not off talking about January which is fine, i like it, but what is so interesting about the, the difference in projects is what their starting points was as coaches. And also, the other thing before I, I let you chime in on this, is that Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp came into a Liverpool team that knew that Man City were their target. Arteta comes into an Arsenal team that knows that it's not just Man City, but that Liverpool are also there. And yes, last season, they weren't as good but liverpool realistically are always going to be there as well to try and battle away with at the title and so that changes the
1: dynamic as well yeah it does um it does and uh, i just i think about all of that and i think yeah you know there's a lot of there's a lot of valid points there and there's a lot of reasons for why the kind of situation has unfolded the way it has and stuff and i'm not for a second saying that i want Mikel gone you know, you know me tom you know I'm, I'm i'm very much on the arteta train um I, driving I it to, yeah that's it man that's it i'm the guy that says uh mind the gap and all the rest of it like i'm <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really wanting this thing to work and, and i think it it will eventually mm. but also as well like in football you can you can never really get to a point i don't think where your squad is you know perfect yeah. and i don't think you can ever get to the point where you have a sort of you have cover in every potential issue that you could face. So like Clive mentions in the chat, Inchenko, Partey, Tomiyasu, Jesus, those four players were all brought in by Mikel Arteta. As Clive might as well come sport. on this podcast at this yeah, point. Yeah, he might as well. Yeah, get him on, <laughs> get him on. Um, you know, th- those are all players that, that Mikel brought in to elevate the level of the team. And they have done that, but their availability has been a problem. Um, somebody like Jorginho, you know, that one was a, a short-term fix. You know, I would even consider giving him another year extension, to be honest, because I think when he's coming at every point this season, he's been he's been fine. Um, I think he's been really good. But, you know, you think that you've got your cover in, in this position and that position and that you're ready to go. And then somebody goes off the cliff in terms of their injuries and somebody's form drops off that you didn't expect. I don't think you can ever get to a place where mm. everything is... As you want it. And that's where maybe a top class manager earns his money, um you know, by being able to make those slight tweaks, maybe adjusting systems, maybe changing things in game and giving you those slight advantages. But, you know, and, and that's what Klopp has. And that's what I think Pep has that maybe Mikel hasn't got yet. But we also have to be realistic about his journey as a coach and how he's still at the very beginning of that. And he will get better. I think he has got better since he first arrived. Um, and the question is, if you can't tell me who should come in and replace him, then why are you calling for him to go? Like the players are young. They're getting better. They're developing. So is the manager. I'm enjoying the ride. Do you know why, Tom? Because when I go to Arsenal now, I feel a connection to that team. I feel like, yeah, it might not always go our way, but I'm right behind that team. And, I, and I'll, and i you know, I, when they win, when they pull something amazing off, I'm always so happy for them. I didn't always feel that in the last few years. Not that I didn't care, but I didn't always feel that connection. I used to look at certain players and think, yeah, you're a good footballer, but you, you don't care. You you don't have that connection to this football club. You're not, you know, you're not desperate to see this club succeed. And and a lot of that, you know, it, it rubs off on supporters. And I think that's why you end up with this situation where you've got some Arsenal fans that are 100% on the Arteta train and won't say a bad word about him. Um, and then you've got the the opposite end of the spectrum where people just don't like him. And because they feel like he's become a bit of a, a bit of a character and there's a, a bit of cheerleading going on and, you know, they mm. call it PR and all that, that they don't like it, but th- that's why you've got those diehards. When you've got those diehards, it means that that connection is there. And, mm. you know, maybe it causes you to be blind sometimes and it causes you to overlook issues because you're so invested, but it's like, it's, it's like when you love someone, right? No one's perfect. My wife will tell you I'm not perfect. But, you know, Speaking she's about... blinded by it all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had someone ask me, someone left a comment on my video. I'm trying to find it this morning. I don't know if I can find it. But someone actually asked me if I could define for them what PR meant. Um, And <laughs> I just said, like, it's, it's the idea of defining PR in this sense. is such a broad concept. Like, you can't. You can't put it down to that, but yeah, it's just one of those buzzwords, isn't it? At the moment,
1: it's going around. Uh, t- we'll I'll finish. You, oh, yeah, just before we dive into the questions, I'll tell you what mm. has annoyed me. Um, in the midst of all this criticism that Arsenal are getting and all the rest of it, mm. listen, the criticism's fine. If you, you know, think we're we're on a bad run and, and you know you're concerned about where the rest of the season's going, that's a valid view and an opinion to have. What I hate is this: it is when it goes away from the football and it becomes about. Oh well, you know, like I get it loads, and, and I know you get it as well. Oh well, he can't say this because, um, you know, he 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 has a media pass and he won't yeah. be able to. What a load of nonsense! <laughs> what a load of rubbish that is! I don't know how it works. What a know? load of rubbish is! It... Yeah, you pick up every back page on a Sunday morning after Arsenal have lost, and they'll be hammered on every back page. The representatives of those newspapers will still be at the Emirates the following week in yeah. the press box covering the football club yeah it is the biggest load of rubbish it's one of those massive misconceptions mm-hmm. um yeah clubs are careful it, 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 with what I just gonna just to jump Sorry.
0: in quickly the it's it's like the only way to prove that that weren't the case is to like go up to arteta and say i thought arsenal were you know whatever and use the expletive you want to you know insert into this sentence here you know and it's like you if if your the idea is that you can't say what you really think about Arsenal because you're worried about your position in a press box. Like, I did a show a year ago or whatever, two years ago which is titled, Arteta should be sacked. <laughs> like, do you really think if there was if Arsenal had a problem with me doing a show like that, that they would have let me in back into Arsenal, you know, if they let me back into the press box after I'd done a show like that? You know, if I did a show talking about I think this Kai kind of Havertz deal was a concern, they really like. They I've spoken to Kai since I've done that show. I've done shows talking about the fact that I don't think Eddie Nketiah is the guy to take Arsenal to the next level in terms of a centre forward. You know, if would Arsenal let me <laughs> go and speak to him again if I said I think he's this, I think he's that? You know, it's just ridiculous. I love this. from Lone Star it says I'm on probation at the moment. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's true. You know, I've, I've crossed the line too many times with Arsenal. It's just, it just seems that. If you're uh, I'm trying to not swear when I'm trying to explain this, because that is really the only way, like, if you just start mugging off Arsenal, if you just start saying Arsenal are this, Arsenal are that, you know, and just going off on rants and stuff and getting angry, you know, I'm not in that way inclined. Before I was ever dreamed of being in a position to be in a press box, you know, I was never inclined. To, to go off, unless it was about Emmy Buendia, actually, that's that's probably the only time I've really done it. Um, but it's it's such you're right to bring it. Up. It's such a ridiculous notion.
1: Yeah, it is because you can be critical without sitting there effing and blinding about someone for an hour. Like you, mm. you can you can do that. Those things can exist. They can happen. Um, I've got friends that I work with very very closely in radio that cover other clubs. I'm not going to mention the clubs because I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but. There are other clubs where that is the case. There are other clubs really? where where they're really strict and they're really looking across your social media and everything that you say and everything that you do and everything that you're associated with. And I, I've got friends who have covered other clubs that have got into hot water with that club because they mentioned something on social media that the club didn't like. But at Arsenal, that is not the case. It's not. It's too big a football club to try and put that kind of stuff in place. You just could mm. never do it. You no, can never put it not. into practice. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I've gone. Go on. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, like, that is one of the things that you know. It's just, it's just nonsense. Like, it's just people just trying to stir up an argument. Like, I can say whatever the hell I like about Arsenal Football Club, but my within personality, reason. I would say within reason. Well, my my personality though is not to go off on someone no, and start yeah, effing and uh, blinding about them. Cool. You
0: can say whatever yeah. you like about Arsenal Football Club because you are never, ever, before you any association with Arsenal from being in a press box, were ever going to cross a line where it would become a problem. So you're no, right, exactly. I'll take that back.
1: It, like I, I can say what I want about Arsenal Football Club because whenever I'm criticising anything or anyone, I'll always try and do it respectfully. Now, I wasn't always like that. Growing up, I wasn't like that. You know, you, you learn that as you become an adult and as you grow up, some people haven't become adults, clearly, because they do sit there and, and you know, f and blind and whatever. And and that's fine. That's up to them. That's the way they want to do it. But this this false narrative that, you know, because we've been in a press box, it means that we can't criticize the club is, you know, take this for an example. I'll give you one example. Right? I really mm. respect the guy as a broadcaster, but I don't agree with his opinions um on the arsenal in years gone by especially adrian durham and he's mm. a great broadcaster does around the grounds for Talksport. i've been sat next to him in a mm. in a press box when he's been doing it and i look over and i look at his notes and i look at all the things he's got to get through and i think you're an unreal broadcaster but in the past i used to listen to Talksport in the car and mm-hmm. get wound up by him so, I've t- i things- used to
0: tweet him back in the day yeah. like how dare how can you say that about arsenal like
1: yeah. Yeah. All the things that that guy used to say about Arsenal. Yeah. If Talksport are covering an Arsenal game, mate, he's, he's sitting right out. there and it's no problem. He's and everyone says out. hello and everyone's fine. Sammy right. like, they that that there working. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that that says it all. That's enough. Exactly. It
0: does. It does. Like, it's so short sighted because you look at that press box and you look at sort of, some of the people that sit in the press box with us, what they've said, how critical they've been about Arsenal. They're there. They're every <laughs> week. <laughs> They're there every exactly. week. But apparently they'll be banned. Apparently they'll be banned. Yeah, they're going to get banned. Oh, without a doubt, they're going to get banned. Um... (laughs) Goodness me. Um, I did want to go to parts. Are you okay to go on a little bit past five? That's all right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm
1: good, mate. I'm good.
0: You're taking out everyone's question time, mate, with that little rant. Sorry. Needle, so, yeah. I had to
1: get it off yeah. my chest because... Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I've had it about 10 good. tweets this week from people. Just oh, going honestly.
0: I get my comment section filled with people saying, oh, you know, can't say what you want to say, you know, because you, you like the prawn sandwiches. For the record, I've never had a prawn sandwich. I, I'm not a big... I, I used to do tempura prawns at half-time, which we were talking about this the other day. Well, mm. we were saying... It's pies every week now. Like, oh, oh, are we to mo- moan about what they serve at our time? How, how middle class have we become? I know, it's incredibly, incredibly <laughs> snooty of us. Um, Clive said, lads, and I know part one's basically been Canton, Simeon, and Palmer this show. Um, Clive says, lads, would you say that we have caught Liverpool? And I guess we can start off part two with this question to kick things off. I would say that we have, says Clive. I don't, personally. I, I, I don't think we have. I, I, I don't think we're there because I think, A, we lack the title-winning Champions League experience that Klopp and some of those players have. And B, I think that the options that Klopp has to change games are of a, a level above what we have right now. So I would say no. I would disagree with Clive on that personally.
1: I would say no as well. But we have significantly closed the gap No, without three three years ago, Liverpool and Manchester City were on another planet. It was like it was becoming like La Liga, Barcelona and Real Madrid, um, you know, in years gone by where they've been really dominant. that was what the Premier League was starting to remind me of. Mm. But we've gone a long way in closing that gap. I think that Liverpool have got better options in terms of changing the game from an attacking point of view. But defensively, I don't think they're better off than us. Um, I think they have a better goalkeeper than us In arguably a better back four when everybody's fit and available. But they haven't had a lot of the back four fit and available at times. They've been without Robertson a lot. Um, you know, Trent defensively isn't great at times. Wonderful footballer, but, you know, you could ask questions about that. Mm-hmm. You know, Canate has taken a bit of time to get going, but I think he's okay now. Van Dyke, I, okay. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, he's brilliant <laughs> no. now. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, yeah. You know, Van Dyke, Yeah, obviously an elite centre-back. But then beyond that, they are a bit short. Like they had to bring on a kid at right back against us the other day. And he he looks really good. Um, His name escapes me. He looked brilliant. But the point I'm trying to make is, uh, I can't remember his name. Connor Bradley. Was it Connor Bradley? I think it might be Connor Bradley. Bradley, Um, and, And I think that's where they're a little bit short. I think the midfield is a little bit short for them as well. In that, like they're having to play McAllister as a six at times, which I don't think he is. So I think mm-hmm. they've got a bit of work to do there. But in terms of changing the games at the attacking end of the pitch, then yeah, they're, they're, they're better off than us at the moment. Mm.
0: Uh, Clark is the other suggestion it might have been. Um, from those I think that was Champions. the other young lad that came on. There I, was thought two, was, I thought it was Bradley. Bradley. Um but, yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, let's go to the questions. I've got to scroll up and find them now. Uh, let's go to, uh, do you think Arteta will win the league after Pep
1: and Klopp leave, says M.I.L. Reaction? <laughs> I mean, when's that going to be? You know, yeah. when's that going to be? could be next year. Yeah, Pep could be next year. Um, I think he could win the league. I think Arteta is on the right path as a manager. And, mm. obviously, Arsenal are on the right path. But I think a lot of the reason why so many people were disappointed last season, even though that title challenge came a little bit unexpected and maybe premature, we all looked at it and we went, this is an opportunity, man, because City weren't really at it for a lot of last season. And then they seemed to click into gear in the second half, went on this incredible one and run and won the treble, but they're still good enough to be there or thereabouts, even when they're going through rocky patches. Um, when it comes to Klopp, I think Klopp's better position to win it this year than Arsenal. I wouldn't have said it at the start of the season because I thought that we had overtaken them. I thought that their drop-off last season was too big a drop-off for them to bounce back immediately from. But based on the evidence we've seen so far, and maybe because they're in the Europa League as well, and they're able to rotate more as a result of the competition being lesser and all the rest of it, you know, maybe that's given them what they needed, that little bit of, you know, balance to, to their comeback. And, I think I think I think we're the third favourites to win the Premier League now. Will we win it after those guys leave? It's difficult to say because football changes a lot in a short space of time.
0: Agreed. Um, I you know I think Arsenal should. Arsenal are aiming to win it well before those two leave. By the way, you know, is the club's aim to win it whilst they're there. Make no mistakes about that. They're not waiting for those two to leave. And you have got to remember that just because they leave doesn't mean the next coaches they bring in aren't going to be good also but i am curious about where they both go next in terms mm. of coaches because they've obviously got at the moment the two best coaches in the world outside of ancelotti so that is going to be very very interesting indeed uh Cesar says should arsenal fans accept this early that we aren't signing anyone in january <laughs>
1: finally we get um, to the topic of today's show <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> there's there's a part of me that still thinks that arsenal are going to do some kind of deal between now and the end of the window um, I think it will be a loan deal or a low-value deal. It will be some kind of short-term fix mm. um, in a position. And I think that that will be due to concerns around the availability of some of our players rather than it being a part of the the overall plan. You know, you can have a plan, but sometimes you need to, you need to improvise. Um, I'm really worried about the left-back position at this moment in time. I know that you could argue that maybe because you know, Timber's a a couple of months away and, you know, uh, Tommy Asu's at the Asian Cup and hopefully he'll come back within a month or so that maybe you can leave that and you can let it rumble on. Mm. Zinchenko's fitness is a concern for me. It was at times last season as well. I think fullback, left back, probably more so for me is, is the concern and the issue.
0: Yeah, M.M. saying Cedric close to Besiktas, apparently, according to Turkish. I've seen Portuguese sources saying this as well. Um, I knew that there was Turkish interest in him, so it wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Uh, Spain as well, but Turkey would be a move. I don't think that changes things dramatically for us, to be honest, because I don't think there's going to be a fee, if any, really attached to that. We'll have to wait and see. Um, But it does obviously mean that if we don't sign anyone at full-back and say we have a crisis at right-back and we don't have Cedric, you know... (laughs) You, there, I reckon there will be suggestions that we shouldn't have let him go. That said, I, I I think Cedric is of a level where I really don't think that there is much of a debate about if it's worth playing him or rule Waters. I really don't think that is, is enough of a difference between the two to make me think that it was worth um, not letting Cedric go. go I
1: find the rule the Waters thing really interesting because if you mm. go back to not the last preseason, the one before, do you remember he started a game against Nuremberg, a preseason mm. game?
0: Right side of centre-back.
1: Yeah. And I looked at him and I thought, yeah, do you know what? And he, and I think he played a bit at right back as well. And I looked at him and I thought, for for him to be on the cusp, this guy must have something about him. And I'm not saying he doesn't, right? but mm. I've covered a few under-21s matches for the club over the last couple of seasons. And I've watched him on a few occasions. I watched him in the, the Youth Cup final as well. Mm. Um, last season, I was at that game, reporting on that game. And, he, he doesn't stand out to me anymore, mm. and you know people keep making the case. Well, we should be pulling these young lads up and, and bringing them. Yeah, in. I actually think, and you know, some people would disagree with this. I think the gap between the first team at Arsenal and the academy players has Massive. never been greater. I don't. Think oh, you're so
0: spot on. Like, I'm so glad you said that. I, I I've just, been batting away yeah. this argument about Arteta doesn't give youth a chance for for like the last couple of weeks because the argument that Arteta doesn't give youth a chance relies on him taking not only a massive risk on a kid that is not yet ready for senior action and secondly is in a position whereby there's so much pressure on Arteta to succeed. If he throws a kid in and it backfires, not only is it terrible for the kid, but that then gets used as a stick to beat Arteta with himself. And you're right. Like Waters, when I talk about Waters and Cedric, that's just I think how low my view is of Cedric's contribution to the team. <laughs> more than anything, it's not a con- it, It's less of a thing about how highly I rate Raw Waters. It's more about how l- less I rate um, Cedric. But I think you're right. Also going back to the, the question on transfers, that the fullback and defensive area for a short-term option is more likely. If Arsenal had the capacity to spend on a permanent player, it would be a midfielder for me to go for in this window. But a short-term player, I don't see a midfielder that you can get really that's any better than El Nenny on a, like a short-term deal. Yeah. So just keep El Nenny. Focus
1: future, on, focus on cool. getting the front lads back firing again. Mm. Like, however you do that, you know, it's obviously that's the job of the manager and of the, the coaching staff. But we all know it's in there. We all know they've got it. We yeah. saw it last season. And, you know, we just need them to click. It is, it's not always as simple as going, oh, go and buy this, go and buy that. And when people say, oh, someone said to me in my comments earlier today, it was, um, I'm not saying that we're going to go and buy a Tony or anyone like that, but surely we're going to sign someone on loan. And I'm like, okay, so if a player is allowed by their club to go out on loan, it means one of two things. Either A, they're not good enough to get into that team. Therefore, are they good enough to get into our team? And B, there's been a falling out or something, or there's a financial reason that that club want to just take a bit of weight off their shoulders, palm the wages off onto someone else. You still need all the parties to agree to that deal. Mm-hmm. It's no good going to um, AC Milan and saying, can we loan Raphael Leal? It's not going to happen, is it? Yeah. So you're going to go and get a player that is of a certain standard. and Sometimes you can find a solution for a very specific problem that you have. But generally, it isn't that simple. And, and it drives me wild that people think it is. Um, you know, the, the gap, just quickly on that gap between the academy and, you know, mm. the, the first team. Uh, he won't mind me saying this. I had a conversation with with Jeremy Aliadier when mm. we were commentating on one of those academy games. And it wasn't a, a criticism of any of the young players or anything, but we were talking about the difference between the way it all works now and, and the difference between the way it worked when he was in the game. And he was saying that when he played at Arsenal, there was a reserve team, right? Used to play at Barnet, Underhill, all the rest of it. And it would be on a Monday night. And that game would be an opportunity for the younger players to learn and develop, but also some of the players in the squad that didn't get a game in the first team, Mm -hmm. they could go off to the reserve game, get a few minutes under their belt, whatever. And so it benefited them because it kept them sharp and it kept them you know, ready for match action. But it also benefited the young players because they'd have, sometimes two or three professionals um, of a higher level dropping down mm. and they could learn from them and they could play with them and they could work with them and all the rest of it. He mentioned the time where Dennis Burkamp was coming back from injury and played 45 minutes or whatever it was with the reserves. Mm. That used to get you in the position where you're ready then when you're called upon to bring you into the first team picture. Now it's nothing like that. I, I, I prepared one day to do an under-21s game and when I mm. turned up, there were seven players from the under-18s that had been pushed up a level because yeah. they decided to make that decision. I can't judge the under-18s playing at under-21s. And I certainly can't judge under-18s playing at 21s as to whether or not they're ready to play in the first team. So it's it's really different now. Mm.
0: No, it is. I can't believe you criticised the club, by the way, there, when, seeing yeah. as you've done some work for them. Unbelievable, really. I know. Uh, Terrible sack me possible some might say <laughs> uh louis says how long do you give arteta and do you think the Cronkies will press the panic button if so then who would you get as
1: a replacement oh god's sake um replacement i don't know um not god's sake at the question just i, I can't think off the top of my head of, of who i would go for and that's why that's it's not there isn't one. one mate. <laughs> yeah that's that's why it's not an easy thing is it and that's why yeah. it's not as, as binary as saying in or out um do I think the Cronkies will press the panic button? No, I don't. No. Um. Again, I'm going to be critical of the club, maybe. Oh, <gasps> yeah, I'm going to do it. When name. when the Super League debacle happened, we were all really, really critical of KSE, like really badly. Like We all looked at it and thought, what on earth are you doing? And they weren't the only ones um, that had signed up to this thing. And, and you got to say that, to be fair. But then there was a, a bit of a shift where I felt that the club... And the ownership of the club were making a conscious effort to to push forward and they were making a conscious effort to stay more in line with the fans. They say, obviously, that they want to push on and that they want to go and win all the biggest trophies and all the rest of it. But there there is going to come a point where their business interests come into play as well, as with all ownership, with the exception of a few ownerships that have unlimited funds, as we know. Um, that are state-owned and all the rest of it. And, you know, for them, money is not an object. It's not about business at all. Until we go and win something big, there's always going to be that question mark around KSE as to how far their ambitions actually go. Yeah. So for me to be able to answer that question as to when they would press the panic button, I'd need to know for sure how far their ambitions go. And as good as things have been over the last couple of years and as much as there's been money invested in obviously the club's money, but been invested in, in sort of players. And, you know, they've restructured a few bits of debt that we had to make more money available. As good as that's been, I don't, I still don't know the full extent of their ambitions other than what they say. And they're never going to say anything other than they want the very best. So I'm unsure about that. I can't tell you at what point they'd press the panic button.
0: I, my view of it is that Stan is pretty detached. Yep. Um, but that Josh is very invested in Arsenal. Um that that's the sense I get from listening to him speak. That's the sense I get from the very rare opportunities I've had to see him uh when he's over at Arsenal games when he's talking to Edu and over here like conversations in past the mix zone and stuff. I think he is really invested. Um I think he's bought into the the tribalism of it a bit you know the the arsenal identity the hatred of our rivals the history i think he's i think he's bought into that and i think that he obviously is making the decisions um of what kse do with arsenal i think that it's just kind of a sign off from stan more than anything else and that josh is effectively the owner of arsenal if you like that's how i view him at least yeah. i know stan will be the the guy who owns kse but for me I look at Josh as, as the owner of Arsenal making the decisions from an ownership level. And so when I see how much money has been invested since they took over to the point where we are now at the border of profit and sustainability regulation, I know that they are and that they want to win and they want to make us competitive and they want to take us to the level of winning things. That's And that's all I can take it from from those guys. And I, and I think they also have bought very much into Arteta's project as well. I think that's not really too much up for, for debate. Very quick, uh, we'll do some lightning round ones. AFC Cape Town really wants me to ask this to you. Would you take Medhi from Porto on a short-term deal for us, considering he only has six months left
1: at Porto? Um, yeah, I like Medhi but is he going to move the needle massively in terms of what we've already got? I don't know. Um, is the honest answer to that? If he's only got six months left on his deal at Porto as well, what kind of short-term deal are we going to get? Are we going to have to pay? Um, we're going to have to pay to get him out of Porto, basically. Why would and... they
0: sell to their Champions League opponent? Then? Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> that
1: as well. Is it... would he be cup tied? Is that a thing in the Champions I
0: League? I think he. I don't think. I think no. they removed that rule, didn't they? Okay. I think they removed that rule with the you Bamian... Remember Bammy we signed mm. from Dortmund, and he couldn't play in the Europa League because he played in the Europa yeah. League for. Dortmund but they removed that rule I think they did so yeah no R- uh, regardless Teremi, yeah I, I'd, I'd rather play Havertz up there than to yeah agreed uh Patrick says hi guys do you think Rice's defensive workload in midfield is too much in our current formation we looked more secure against City in both games with Partey and Jorginho supporting him
1: 100% I think right now while we're going through this difficult phase I think we're better off playing Jorginho and Rice in midfield with Odegaard. I think you get a better Odegaard when it's Rice and Jorginho as well, because it gives him a bit more of a platform to be a bit looser in his own position. And and, and I've always said all season that for me, the balance in the midfield has been a bit off with this idea of playing Havertz as an eight. Now, Havertz has done what he can in terms of defensive contribution. I think his height gives us something when we're defending set pieces, for example, um, and that's fine. It's not a criticism of Havertz. So I just don't think it's mm-hmm. his game. I think that actually, yeah, Jorginho and Rice is, is the best combo for us. And I prefer it when we play with that almost double pivot. Rice has a bit of license, but Rice has got that mobility to get back in and help when he needs to. You can't leave Jorginho there on his own. You can get away in some games leaving Rice on his own because of the difference in mobility. But it is all about balance and combinations for me. And uh, and I like the the Rice and, and Jorginho thing. Controversial take. I think Jorginho is a better progressive passer than Declan Rice. So I actually like controversial. I said said it once and I got absolutely hammered for it. I think, yeah, I think that Jorginho from the six will break the lines better with his passing. I think Rice does get you up the pitch, but he does it by carrying the ball. Yeah. And what's Jorginho's best trait as a footballer? So for me, I actually prefer to have Jorginho at the six and mm. Rice slightly next to him. If you've got Partey there, different story, because Partey is as good as Jorginho at doing that. And but I think up, that's yeah. where we've lost something.
0: Yeah, for sure. We we've we missed that. Um, and, you know, when Jorginho played against Liverpool with Rice ahead of him, we dominated that first half because yeah. of the how we kind of, uh, Hugh Wizzy calls it walk football, you know, we're just constantly going rounds. you know, the, this 18-yard box. Like, it's it's so true that that is that just suffocation of the ball around their box, getting as many chances as you can, continuously recycling, and and that's important. Matt G says, Tom, are you worried about your role as Arsenal's PR man by having a loose cannon like Harry on the show? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, uh, I think I have to look at my um, my uh, my accreditation for ballast. I think it might get revoked. It's been cancelled. What are you talking
1: about? I just had an email now. It's been cancelled. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, Marcus says, uh, "Will Harry be joining you in recreating any footballing moments at the live show in February?" I thought my Martinelli impression was pretty good. I thought I expected... Did you disagree with me, by the way? Do you remember the game against Nottingham Forest where Martinelli did that backhill pass to Inketia And
1: Yeah, you said he yeah, meant it and I said he didn't. It. it was
0: intentional. I think it was intentional still. I'm guaranteed. I'm so sure.
1: He was trying to do the Zidane turn and he messed it up.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, we're still not going <laughs> to see our trial this. Uh, Chris says, Hi, lads. With the expected departures in the summer, do you worry by doing nothing in January? We're leaving ourselves with a lot to do. I think we have a choice, Chris, sadly. <laughs> That's the problem.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think we have a choice either. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you'd like to take a step in January, wouldn't you? So that you're um, you're ahead of schedule when you go into the summer and you've got less to do in terms of getting to where you eventually want to get to. But um, no, I, it's, it's one of those things. There's no point in debating it because we've got no choice, basically. No, exactly exactly clive and
0: a really annoyingly good question if rice went to city would he play six or eight and the reason why it's such a good question because i saw it and i was thinking in my head i went oh six and then i went oh the thing is with like roger has been so good going forwards and getting clutch goals and clutch assists for them at times i feel like he would play deeper but then I look at Arsenal and think, well, if Partey's back and Jorginho's back, I'm playing Rice ahead of them with them deeper. Oh, it's, it's a really good question. Would he it play? Is the
1: question. Would yeah, they take question? It is a really, really good question. Um I I don't think that Rice is as good as Rodri. I don't think that's no. unfair to say. Um I don't think that he gives you that he can give you what Rodri gives you in the attacking third as well. Um, I think Rodri's got a bit more guile about him. I think he's got more to his game, essentially. I think oh, Rodri is the, yeah, he's the prototype, you know, deep-lying midfield player. He's, he's exactly what you want in every department. Um, I don't, I I think Pep would have looked at Rice if he had him there. And would think that given that he likes the likes of Bernardo Silva and De Bruyne are in those midfield positions, I think he would have seen Rice as a little bit a little bit too clunky to play as an eight. Does that make sense? But yeah. I, I think not, he'd have him as a six.
0: The thing about eights, other than uh, Pep's eights, other than De Bruyne, who is just a force of nature. Like he's he's just different. You know, he's he's one of those players. If you have them, you play them. Um, you know, no matter what your system is, you, you you play them. And other than that, he likes his eights to be dynamic, low center of gravity, quick bursts, your silvers, your phones when you play them in there. And or you get your Gunda ones, to be fair, who is perhaps mm. a bit different. They miss one this year. They really do. Um, and I when I saw the links to him in the summer, I was desperate for us to get Gunda one. I was. I know it was kind of the whole where well, we got Zinni, we got Jesus. We're taking yeah. on a player that they've gone to, but they've not. The, the difference between that is they went from Zinchenko, and they've now got Gavardio and Ake, who I think are better than Zinchenko overall as players. Um, I know Gavardio has had his his issues, but I still think I've watched him at Leipzig, and he's, he's a silly player when he when he does actually get up to his his best ability. Ake has been an unbelievable signing for City. Brilliant footballer. Um, and I think they are a step up on Zinchenko. I think that's controversial. Jésus obviously replaced by Haaland. Gundawan's not been replaced. They didn't bring someone in there. They brought Kovacic in. He's not better than Gundawan. So that's the difference there. And that's why I was pining for us to really see if we could persuade him to come to Arsenal. But yeah, that maybe is... Yeah, Rice may, I guess, would have probably been ahead of Rodri if I was to real push I mean, it.
1: I've been thinking about this and like while you've been speaking there and I actually think that if Rice had gone to Manchester City you mm. might have seen them do things a little bit differently you know at the moment they've got like Guardiola playing as a left back or Aké playing yeah. as a left back and that is because they want that extra bit of security in a central area when they lose the ball mm. and Rodri's caught up the pitch yeah and started up the pitch yeah yeah, or, yeah exactly I think if they had a Declan Rice you might see, and and he'd go into the side as maybe as an eight on paper, but he'd be part yeah. of that, you know, that midfield duo with Rodri. I think you might have seen Pep then go for a more adventurous fullback rather than a centre back at fullback. Mm-hmm. So I think he might yeah. have tried to overcome. He might have tried to compensate for, you know, the lack of attacking threat that maybe you get from Rice in comparison to Gunduan. For argument's sake,s by having a more adventurous, more traditional, more uh, forward thinking fullback. I don't know. It's it's a really good question.
0: It is a really good question. Um, The the, the scariest thing about that whole thing is that, you know, it's just the idea that Rice went to City instead of Arsenal. That would have been game over.
1: Game over. There's a reason, isn't there, Tom, that they went, okay, don't worry about it sort of thing. Like, they they were in and nobody's going to convince me that the price is what put them off because Man City didn't pay it. There was a reason, you know, obviously people say that he wanted to come to Arsenal and, and that that was already sort of in place. Yeah, maybe that was true, but City would have still backed themselves to be able to convince him. So it, it, it couldn't have been that much of a priority for them is the point I'm making, as much as it was for us. they went. They yeah, were they were,
0: it was a sake of it signing. It would have been a signing him to stop anyone else getting him signing. And I don't think you can justify going over £100 million for a player that you don't absolutely need. Like yeah. Grealish, they needed to go and get Grealish. I think they needed a Grealish in their team. Um, they needed to get Haaland for obvious reasons. You know, they needed another top, top, top defender in Guardia, which they got, but they didn't need, need, need Rice. And so that's why they ended up just saying, okay, Arsenal, you can, uh, we're not going to go that high. Uh, Arsenal yeah. needed Rice. <laughs> and uh, I know that's certainly been proven this season. Uh, we're going to end the show there. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening and tuning in. Very much appreciate your time as always. Harry, thank you for your time, mate. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, mate. Really appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you.
1: Yeah, check out uh, the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Um, It's on YouTube. Uh, I think Tom's very kindly tagged it in the title. So click there, go and subscribe, all the rest of it. And uh, I promise I'm going to be more motivated uh, over the next few weeks as we get back into it. Hopefully we get three points at the weekend, then everything's good again. Come on, you gunners.
0: Indeed. Big, big game. I dread to think. About the result of being anything other than a win, I oh, really, mate. really do. Oh, I'm that, leaving the that,
1: country. Me. I'm leaving the country. If uh...
0: I've, I've been telling people for quite so many months that I've had a, re- I've been really good at disassociating Arsenal when things don't go well. But if things don't go well this weekend, my goodness me it is going to be a challenge to be
1: unaffected in my mood <laughs> following well, that game. I really. Uh... Uh... Saturday is also my wife's birthday, so for her sake, I hope that Arsenal get a result because I don't. She's not. I'm not going to be great dinner company in the evening if uh, if uh, (laughs) we drop points against Palace
0: yeah um oh goodness me now we're gonna win it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine people uh we'll have a preview show of course for the crystal palace game coming toward the end of this week so make sure you subscribe and turn those notifications on so you can be alerted when that will be dropping i'll be live of course for you tomorrow at 8 a.m you can find harry at the chronicles of aguna on youtube and of course you can find me at harry simu on twitter you can see his handle on the screen Uh, make sure you go and give him a follow if you enjoy this stuff uh you'll enjoy. Harry stuff. I can assure you. Uh, so, thank you for listening. Drop a like, subscribe, all the usual YouTubey stuff, and I will see you bright and early tomorrow. Have a great day. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay happy. And as always, I'll be Arsenal. It's the ninety-plus minute